Welcome to the underground. Turn me up, bitch! My Little Underground with Peter A. It's My Little Underground. I'm Peter A. Make sure you're subscribed anywhere you get podcasts and follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at MLUPod. And you can also support the show for as little as $1 a month. More details on Peter A. Radio. Dot com. Today on the show, we got Jasmine White Gloves of No Joy to talk about their brand new album, Motherhood. We talked sampling, Jasmine working with her sister Alyssa of Arch Enemy for the very first time, and how their sonic clashes work to their benefit. We talked virtual shows and plenty more right here on My Little Underground. <laughs> Okay, I'm ready. You ready? You ready? Okay. As long as this doesn't break in the middle, I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think I think we should be good. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah. Jasmine. Hi. Welcome to my little underground. So Hi. glad to have you. I know. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So you just did um the virtual babies all right show. Yeah. So you know the, the times we're living in. You know th- this is kind of ideal for musicians now to do like virtual concerts and stuff like that. So how was the setup and how was the how was the, the whole show kind of executed? You know, I've done a couple of these now and every time you learn something a little bit about how you would do it better or like what you would change. Um, it's a little bit tough because Tara, who plays guitar, lives in Ontario. So she's not physically here. <laughs> so we always have to find ways to like beam her in or like, find a way to get her involved um but yeah i i you know it made me it was bittersweet because i kind of wanted to be at baby's irl <laughs> that's where the last time i had a record release we, we played and it it was just it was bittersweet because it would have been really fun and i know the show would have been really amazing um and i was supposed to be at that show oh i know yeah <laughs> yep i was guestless uh, uh, for that show and I was, I, I think I took a nap and then I was too lazy to get, uh, to get up and go to Brooklyn. So I was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> I'll see no joy the next time, you know? I think about during the pandemic, I have thought about all the times I have done exactly that, where I've just been like, eh, I'm too lazy to walk down the street to go to the show. I'll go another time. And how much I just would do anything to be able to go now. <laughs> but all yeah. those times I took for granted, just being like, oh, I'm too, I'm too tired. Um, but yeah, the, when shows, go ahead. Yeah, but the, but it was super fun. It was really super fun. We recorded it um, inside a venue in Montreal uh, called The Ritz PDB, um, and it's a local venue that I love. But it was really also kind of bittersweet because it hadn't been – it was closed. It's been closed, and no one's been in there since March. But so when we went in, like the posters for all the shows that were supposed to happen in like April and May were still up. And it was just kind of sad because <laughs> you're like, oh, God, this is the every single show was canceled. Every single thing on this wall was canceled. All these people didn't get to go out and do their tour. All these people lost their jobs. So it, it was a little sad as well from that perspective. But it was it was kind of fun to be back in a venue playing a show. <laughs> from like a music fan perspective, like what are your thoughts on virtual shows in general? Have you seen any? Yeah, I've seen a bunch. Um, I've seen a bunch of different kinds of shows, uh, even just listening sessions, Q&As. 
I think people are getting it's it's an interesting time because it's the time where people were figuring it out. So there's so much experimentation and none of them have like worked perfectly yet. Everything is still like a work in progress. So there's, you know, the Minecraft shows and then there's like a streaming on YouTube and then there's Instagram live and there's all these different ways and people are really just trying to figure out what they can do best. Um, so I think it's pretty exciting because there's no formula yet. Everybody's just winging it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just like the story of, of the last like four or five months for creative people just kind of figuring things yeah. out. So correct me if I'm wrong. No joy as a band doesn't exist anymore. And it's kind of just your project now. Is that true? Uh, yeah, in a way. I mean, the band, it, the band that had been the band up until 2015, um, sort of dissolved after more faithful. And then, uh, a few members like worked on some EPs with me, Garland Hastings, who played drums. He was on some of the EPs with me. Um, but for the most part, I took the reins as songwriter and main member since 2015. Um, and then now have a, a different group of people that play with me. But it, it, I get like, I don't like saying it's not like a solo project because I'm never just a solo person on stage. There's always a band playing with me but it's it's just it's become a different sort of machine than it or like monster <laughs> than it was before so the current monster of no joy <laughs> what are certain things that you hope to accomplish in, in the in the future next couple of years or so i think part of the reason for like changing the formula that we were using was i got really bored of playing as just like a four piece rock band or just like a regular rock band setup. I, it, I had kind of run my course with that and I wanted to experiment more with triggering samples with like uh, using loops on stage, using more backups, like vocal backups. Um, so it, that allowed me to play more material that isn't necessarily like the rock songs that we have, even older ones like Lunar Phobia, it, I'm able to play it now. Um, so that, that just makes it more exciting and interesting for me to be able to customize the show depending on what kind of show it is. We can make it uh, like a 20-piece rock band on stage or we can make it a one-person solo show or it can be me with an orchestra. Like it's way more malleable now. And that is more exciting and more interesting for me as somebody that has to play this or previously on tour would have to play the same song every night. It just makes it a little more interesting. So as long as you've been a, a part of this project, what, what are some of the things that you kind of hope to accomplish that you didn't really get to do as the ideal four piece rock band, as you stated? Um, I, I think it's just like different. They were different things. And I think that like I had the most fun and put out the best records I personally thought we could do in that sort of setup. And, you know, other people too, life comes into play and sometimes people don't want to tour for, for the rest of their lives. <laughs> you know, people want to do other things. And for me, it was still something that I wanted to do full time. And that wasn't the case with some of the other members as well. So um, I didn't want to, I wanted things to not be limited to how they would be performed so when i'm recording a song i didn't want to go in there being like "Ooh, how are we going to do this live because honestly like that would <laughs> this whole new record it would be impossible 
Um, but like just to experiment as much as possible and not really be thinking about, I don't know, like how it would be, how to, it, I don't know how to explain it, but it would just be that everything had to be broken down into like guitar based drums. And now it can be a bunch of other things. And so I'm hoping to just continue to expand that and try different things and try playing different instruments. And yeah. So you're kind of, you're not over touring all over the world, going to Europe and you're kind of, you're still kind of hungry in that regard. You still want to see the world again, even though you've probably done it already. Is that fair oh, to say? Yeah. yeah. I love touring. I mean, it's, it's this funny thing where it's like in the moment can be the worst thing, <laughs> but simultaneously the best thing. Um, and it, I think that it's, yeah, it's crucial to me as a performer and learning. And uh, I, you know, I think a lot of this record came to be, or this new record came to be because of a tour that we did. Um, it was, I was off cycle. Like I wasn't doing anything, but we ended up doing like two months North America and Europe with quicksand. And on that tour, it was the first tour I did with Tara. It was the first tour that I had my sound engineer, Madeline Campbell, I had already started thinking about the full length record, but I wasn't really sure. And that tour playing that, that those rooms with quicksand and that band just giving me confidence as well in being a performer, like really kind of fueled my um, creative confidence to like push it and be like, yes, I definitely want to keep doing this. I definitely want to keep touring. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, especially now when you can't do it, <laughs> it's always that way when it's like, when you're, you're not allowed to do something, you're like, hey, I love doing that. I want to do that now. So I definitely miss touring. I definitely miss it's 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 a really crazy feeling that like I would be in New York or L.A. several times a year for touring or otherwise. And like our borders are closed and they've been closed since March. And the fact that I haven't been to New York since March is such a weird feeling. Um so yeah, I, I still love touring and I love mixing it up and I love the challenges it presents and the, even the bad stuff. Sometimes when you look back in hindsight, you, you learned a good lesson. So I definitely want to keep doing it whenever possible. I was supposed to be on a, a few of those quicksand shows too, but oh. again, I was, I think I was doing, I was in, I was in college at the time and I was kind of working hard on, on a project and I was just so tired. I didn't want to go all the way out to Brooklyn that night, but yeah. you know, I, I love what you do. I'm, I'm a big no joy fan. So I kind of beat myself up about it, but I got to see you a few months down the line. So I'm happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when did you start working on motherhood? Um, around, I would say like the end of 2016, um, end of 2016, throughout 2017 just writing demos um and then early early 2018 uh George Albrecht and I got together in LA and we just sort of like went through all my demos and sorted through and tried to like kind of piece things together with more clarity um and then we recorded in the studio uh September 2018 so and that was like about a month and then I took forever to do my vocals <laughs> recorded vocals <laughs> I just spent like six months doing that so it, it was really over a long period of time so like looking back at these 
songs now I'm you know I sometimes people ask like oh did you use like a drum machine on this song and I was like I actually don't remember I have to like go back and look at all the demos like it was over such a long period of time and the songs took on like so many different forms to get where they are that I I it was truly a long a long journey I think that that's the perfect definition of a no joy song so many different forms it just went through so many different changes and now here it is and there's still a lot going on and there's no way you're gonna remember every nook and cranny you know unless you spend a whole lot of time with a song is that right yeah i think i mean even when i spent i've spent like so much time with these songs but i think in with these songs there was so much going on and a lot was um impulsive like impulsive decisions like let's just I want to play the vibraphone. I don't know how, but like, I'm just going to try it. Okay. And then there's like lots of vibes on the record, but only when you listen carefully. And like, I don't remember exactly what I was playing, but I know I did it. And so there's lots of that there. Um, But for the most part, I can kind of remember (laughs) how and when I wrote them, but they definitely transformed like multiple times over. So talk to me about some of the eclectic instruments that you use for motherhood. You had some banjos in there and even a makeshift recorder. Yeah. <laughs> we had like a very, um, oh my God. Can you hear me getting messages on my phone? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I heard the buzzes, but it's cool. It's oh, fine. Okay. I'm turning it off. However, I, ha- I, ha- I had a Blackberry up until like a year ago. I'm very not tech savvy, um, but. With the gear in the studio, this is probably why we had uh, we had a beautiful studio that we were uh, renting out from the band Braids. They have a really beautiful studio here in Montreal. Um, but we, for some reason, the studio is gorgeous, has beautiful equipment. We decided to use like actual garbage instead. Nice. <laughs> so, like, we had like a there was a drawer full of like drum accessories, and there was like a a recorder that like was kind of busted that we called a flute, even though we knew it wasn't a flute. Um, And we're just like, let's play it. But like, nobody knows how, none of us knew how to play the recorder. It's like, we're just winging it. Like it sounded actually terrible. Um, (laughs) And then we, yeah, we recorded, we had a lot of banjo that I will say uh, Tara also plays in a country band called Nice Horse. And uh, Nice Horse, I'm writing that down. Yeah, they're amazing. And she's, she's, so she's quite a skilled uh, banjo player. And of course, she's also like the best guitar player I've ever seen. So, so she played mandolin and banjo and guitar. Um, so we did have quite a lot of banjo. And we, oh my gosh, what else did we have? We had like lots of scrap metal. There was an art studio next door, so we had uh, scrap metal that we just like banged stuff on, like threw keys in a bowl, threw stuff at a wall. <laughs> um, we yeah squished bananas. We made coffee. Uh, what else did we do? Just lot like really things that you. I don't know. We were trying to make sounds that couldn't easily be traced back to like oh that's that plugin with that you know download. We try. We wanted to really make original sounds. So sometimes we did them in kind of stupid ways though. <laughs> Do you have a lot of gearhead fans that would point out certain plugins that you use? I would think so. I, I'm kind of like that. If I hear something and I, I'm listening to a record and I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I, I know what that's from. Not that I look down on it, but I feel a little like, 
I like to be challenged a little bit, being like, how the hell do they do that? Um, so a lot of the sounds that we tried to make were like doubling up piano and banjo. So it sounds like a different instrument or my voice and piano. So it sounds like something else or a synth. We had a, there was a beautiful Putney synth, um, that was Chris Walla, who was from Death Cab and, you know, has produced so many records, Tina and Sarah. He was in the studio. It was, he was renting that studio as well. And so he was helping engineer and he had a beautiful Putney synth that belonged to Bjork previously. Um, and so he was like, we're like, okay, we'll try and make some sounds. But we actually like plugged in. I have a really crappy broken guitar from the late eighties. So we like plugged the guitar into the Putney and it just like, it made sounds that like weren't necessarily very good, but we're like, hell yeah, this is weird. <laughs> so we did a lot of stuff like that where we were just tr like experimenting and not necessarily going for like the best tone, which is something I probably would have normally done. A lot of the guitar parts were off of like a pod guitar pedal that has like the presets and the presets were like really lame, <laughs> but they work. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to, tr a lot of the times we were making decisions that were like, lol, but then we kept them. You did a lot of sampling on this on this album, as you, you you've explained, and even some creative methods. So, what are some things that you've discovered and learned about yourself as an artist, or just in general about production, or anything that you did from sampling? I would say, uh, yeah, I it's something I learned a lot from George, from working with George and writing with George, because um, sampling sampling my vocals was something I was always really interested in. But a lot of it happens because when we do vocal takes, like I'll record 10 takes of the same word over and over and over again until I get it right. And like 10 more takes of the next word and then piece it together. So I learned a lot about like chopping and editing just through trying to make things sound perfect. And then it was really interesting to then go and try and make things sound not perfect and like chop them together or pitch them up slightly out of tune or pitch them down. Um, so it's, it's, been really fun i think trying to get my voice to be something that's used like an instrument or not like distinguishably me or sounds like something else has been really fun um so yeah or would you ever be open to sampling another song or do you just want to avoid that that the, you know the the legalities and all that of all that stuff I would, I would totally be up for it. Um, yeah, I, I think like, I was, just, <laughs> I was just listening to um, Crazy Town Butterfly yesterday, and oh, great song. <laughs> that song has a Red Hot Chili Pepper sample in it. The guitar part. Yeah, didn't and, like Flea produce it or, or write a little bit for it or that? Of, oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. He might have. He might have. That would explain it. But I remember listening to the song and being like, "That's a great like." take what you will about the song butterfly sugar baby like whatever that song whatever but the the sample the guitar sample is a really great sample that they chose so i would definitely definitely be up um and interested in doing that and that might be something i i i do <laughs> how 1999 of you to bring that song up i think that that's when that song came out i believe right I think so or maybe it might be 2000 i'm not sure it might i i don't know you might be right so is there any kind of stereotype about like the ethereal or 
for lack of a better term, shoegaze sound that you're looking to shatter? Um, I wasn't purposely looking to shatter. I think I've always kind of not viewed, no, ironically, I, I never really viewed No Joy as a shoegaze band. Um, I, I kind of just, if people ask me, I just said we were a rock band. Um, and now I kind of just say it's like experimental pop or something. Uh, I think also just because my personal music tastes are, I don't really listen to shoegaze. I don't, I mean, I do. And, and that is definitely have a lot of those bands were formative for me, but it's not something that I actively like try and do. So if there's any shoegaze that comes out of the music, I think that's just my, uh, the, the way I write kind of sounds that way, but I, I don't know. I, I was just trying to do like whatever I felt like doing and all these sounds were in my head. Um, and some of them were shoegaze and some of them were other stuff. Uh, but it, it, to me, this record is just as varied as some of the other ones we did, but I think maybe I just, I was a little bit bolder in my, in my production choices this time. I mean, the last time I saw you perform, you had all the traits of shoegaze hiding behind your hair, <laughs> pedals everywhere. You know, you were living the shoegaze dream. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, I mean, and it, it's like, I would be hiding behind my hair because I'm kind of shy on stage and I don't really like to, I have a, I don't know. I, I, I'm not like a confident front person to like, make jokes and be like hey everybody check out the merch in the back like that's never been my shtick so the the hair in the face was always just kind of like a little curtain that I could hide behind for a little while um it just so happens that that is a like a trait of shoegaze music and on yeah of course like I I think Ghost Blonde is is sounds like a shoegaze record but I feel like a lot of the records I made since in my head don't sound shoegaze but that just might be because I know them inside and out and i know like the the inspiration behind a lot of them and most of the inspirations are are i can safely say like 100 percent inspiration is not shoegaze <laughs> but if i if i were running a record store and i got the new no joy album i would definitely put it in the shoegaze category but but <laughs> it doesn't mean like that that's all you are because there's a lot of different things that are coming out of what you know of the music you're making which is a good thing yeah i think it's tough. I think like consuming music, you need to have a starting point. You need to have like a, a genre or like, if you like this, you'll like this. And, and so I understand that. And I understand that's how I discover music too. Sometimes it's just going to sections and alternative quote unquote can be pretty broad. You can get like, oh, Pearl Jam and, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can get John Mouse and Pearl Jam in the same thing. Like they're all alternative in a way. Um, so I get that there needs to be labels on stuff, but I, I I think like I feel like there's some tropes that fall into shoegaze and there's some things that you have to do to like be a shoegaze band. And I've just been trying to like I don't know, those aren't things that You did a couple of them. You did a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are inherent in me in a way. I think like reverb on voice. I just like it. But I also know that Enya uses a lot of reverb on her voice and she's not shoegaze, but <laughs> that was the inspo. <laughs> like Enya was far more inspo than my Blade Valentine. I'll, okay. for the, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Yeah. But uh, let's let's talk about Ageless because you said that you've get, you've been getting a lot of messages about this song specifically. But like, what what are people what are people telling you or asking you about this song? Um, a lot of questions are, are like that. It's like pretty eighty sounding, uh, pretty new wave. Is that like a direction I would go in? Um, there is like a kind of like a vocoder effect on my voice. I got some questions about that because it's an, sort of a style of vocals I haven't done before. Um, and yeah, it's the, I think it's the shortest song on the record. So it kind of comes off the most whiplashy because there's so many things going on um, where it like starts and then it's over and then there's a piano and you're like, what just happened? Um, so I've been getting a lot of questions just kind of asking like, how the hell did you, where is this, <laughs> where did this come from? Um, and my answer is always just like, I really don't know. Like it came out of my head. And it made sense to me. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense to anybody else, but it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I think this is the No Joy house record. Like, I see a lot of, like, DJ club mixes of this yeah. song in the near future. Yeah. It's like you wanted to dance. You just wanted to dance. That's all. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You know, I really liked this sort of era of, like, you know, like, there. I, I feel like rave culture and shoegaze culture are actually so close together and, and we don't always notice that, but like even something like Manchester and the happy Mondays and like, um, like some stuff like that, like a band like boards of Canada, which is not rave, but is like trip hop, but like, it's kind of shoegaze. Like I, it's kind of, it shoegaze to me is an exploration of like, sonics and loud and quiet and sounds like there's a lot more overlap than I think we or I and people have noticed um and so I was reading a lot of this old magazine called The Face that I I had a subscription to when I was in high school and it was really like it would have concert listings in the back and rave listings and they would feature musicians and designers and it was just always a combo of like, you know, like Primal Scream and then Orbital and then like Chemical Brothers and Prodigy, but then like Oasis. And it was just such a crazy combo that like, but it all made sense under the same time period where like you could listen to rock music, but you could also go to the rave and like you could do both and maybe both happened at the same time. And there was rock remixes of rave songs and there was rave songs that were be uh, rock songs that were played at the rave. Um, so there was just like an interesting time where like music was just like, what? We're going to try it all. <laughs> um, and and I do think like Screaming Dalka is one example of a record that is like symbolizes that a lot where Primal Scream before and after are kind of like a shoegaze dream pop rock band. Um, but that record's like a dub record <laughs> um, and came out of nowhere. So I, that those instances where Britpop or shoegaze sort of leaned into techno or electronica that that was really on my mind a lot and when you look at a band like joy division and new order you know what i'm saying like it's it, same people but like totally just you know totally different like when you look at like uh what's it blue monday that's yeah. just you know that's like a that's a dance record that's a club record yeah. Yeah. you know and yeah, I think a lot like that's music now. It's all like merging and coming together and all influenced by similar things. And yeah, totally. I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. 
So let's talk about you working with your sister. And for those who don't know, it's Alyssa of Arch Enemy. And yeah. was there ever con- a concern, because you guys have never worked together up until this point, was there ever a concern about like a Sonic Styles Clash? Or were you ju- you w- were you aware of that and you were willing to explore it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was very aware of um, what she does. And so we had written, I had written Dream Rats and we had recorded it and I had done all my vocals and we had just like her and I are never in the same place at the same time. She's either touring or I'm touring it. Like we never overlap. And we, we happened to overlap while I was just finishing vocals. Um, and I was like, I think you should be on the song. Like it's the, it's the most heavy song I have, which is not heavy by her standards <laughs> by any means. Like her, her music is way heavier. Um, but I thought that like given the subject matter of the record and I always am a sucker for contrast. So if something seems like it shouldn't go together, like I like to see it go together. And I thought that having sort of like dream poppy vocals with her screams and like really pretty uh, guitar with like the heavy guitar, I thought just the contrast was was really intriguing for me. And um, and she was down, so she like wrote her parts and. She's she's such a pro that it was like a one take thing for her. And <laughs> obviously for me, like I said, it took me like six months to record all my vocals because I just took so long and couldn't get it. But um, she got it like she got her parts done right away. And she comes up with such interesting uh, ideas, especially because it's so outside of her regular comfort zone, this kind of music. So she had such unique ideas that, uh, yeah, I was thrilled to work with her on it. When you two were growing up, what music were you listening to? Did you guys have similar taste in music or were you just on totally different, you know, wavelengths like your music is? Uh, it's funny. I think like, you know, our music now is very different, but at the same time, we're both in very niche music scenes. (laughs) It's not like she's, you know, like a classical piano player and I'm like, I don't know, like a polka player or something like we're different, but like still similar enough because there is there often is some overlap um especially you know like she'll play have she'll you know she'll play a music festival and then i'll see like deaf heaven who are also playing the same festival as her and i know them and so it like there's a lot of overlap that happens um but in our house like our house is very musical my mom has exceptional music taste so we were you know we grew up listening to to Bowie and Tom Petty. And, um, I think once we got a little older, I, I'm the older sister. So I had a lot of screamo records (laughs) that I think I passed on to her, (laughs) which may have been like a good gateway for her into metal. Um, but I think respectively, both of us found our music taste by going to shows and by meeting people, um, and just like being part of a music community. I think that's how we both like found our footing now this means you have to work together again in the future and you have to tour together it just makes sense (laughs) you can't go back now (laughs) for years it was like we should play a show where you play all my songs and i play all your songs and she's obviously like cool but then i'm like i can't play their songs like arch enemy are like incredible musicians like i cannot play as well as michael i can't even i'm not even gonna pretend (laughs) um so that idea, we always joke about it, but like I would have to take some guitar lessons if I wanted to even try. <laughs> Are you guys pick 
your like a, a band that you both like and you just cover the songs oh, and that will that would be both of the sets. That's pretty good, yeah, actually. <laughs> Go ahead, run with it. Yeah, that's okay. I'll credit you if we do it because that is yay, <laughs> perfect. So let's talk about probably. I think you've said this, this is probably one of your favorite songs on on the album, but it, that may have changed since the album came out. Four, yeah. and uh, the video for four follows the visual artist. Ashley Diaba, who is a native Mohawk. So how did you get connected with her? Yeah, Ashley. Ashley's an amazing artist here in Montreal. Um, works works all over Canada, actually. But uh, she has done my makeup a few times on different shoots, uh, like promo, photo promos. Um, she actually did my makeup for the Caliphone music video, in which I'm actually wearing her clothes, too, because we had pulled clothes to wear in that video, but she had this amazing Rage Against the Machine shirt. And I was like, I'm just going to wear your shirt because you're so cool. I, I'm going to wear your clothes <laughs> instead of the stuff we have here. Um, and, you know, like for that song, I had planned a different video that didn't seem to work out. And I wasn't really sure what we were going to do. And uh, I, my friend and also the art director who was helping me throughout the entire motherhood project, Jody Hertz, she said, you know what? Why don't we just go to Ashley's house? <laughs> And I was like, you know what? Ashley's so cool. And she's just one of those people that you think like is such a incredible artist and person. And you just like want to listen to them talk. And you're just like, I don't know how you're so original. And her makeup is like, she comes up with that all herself. I just, yeah, it was just something where like both of us have been huge fans of hers and her career, like since she started. So it just seemed like a fun idea we just went to her house and like played in the pool and played with her dog and her cat and and filmed it and and yeah and then that was the video tell me about some of the organizations that you kind of shouted out uh, on your platform uh canadian roots exchange native women's association of canada and truth north aid yeah yeah these were all um organizations i asked ashley to pick um, whatever money we were going to put towards videos, we just decided to donate for towards organizations that Ashley uh, supported and, and liked. And so in Canada, we have like a very, um, you know, we, we tend to sometimes we look at America and we're like, oh, yeah, but Canada is so peaceful. But we have a terrible history um, of treating indigenous people um like they are not humans and uh there's although there's strides being made now to change that and to repair that relationship it is still very uh you know they're still trying to build pipelines in bc and there's still a lot of political tension um so it is something that i wanted to make sure that i supported uh by spotlighting ashley who's an indigenous artist but also just her community we shot on kanawake which is indigenous territory and i wanted to make sure that the money went back to the people um that and and the mohawk community that she's a part of i don't know if you ever heard of the show united shades of america with w kamau bell mm-hmm. so that that show they did an episode of everything you just talked about Right. How they their history of treating natives and at the same time exploring the idea that Canada is like you know Amer when America is like you know shit is so fucked up here let's we're going to Canada oh if Trump wins again 
we'll go to Canada. So kind of exploring the, you know, the two sides uh, of Canada. It's very, very interesting. I don't, if, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely check it out. It's fantastic. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of history there and, um, it's, it's hard to learn about it because as a Canadian, you're, you definitely feel like, I definitely feel very ashamed being like, you know, responsible for this. Um, and it's something that we just like kind of kept quiet and tried not to make a big deal. Don't let anybody know. And, uh, it, it's definitely, I'm happy to see that it's picking up with momentum through social media and different organizations. There's definitely more support that's happening. And I think it's like going to be a very long process in this country. Um, but I'm happy to see it starting anyway. All right. And Jasmine, thank you so much for coming and talking no joy with me and the new album motherhood is out right now, anywhere you get music. And so this is your time plug away. Let, let me know, let everybody know what you got going on and where people can follow you. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm on Twitter. I think it's no joy. I don't remember at no joy. Probably. I don't know. Google it. (laughs) I'm not really sure. And then uh, Instagram, no joy 68 JK 69. Great handle. Thank you. No Joy Music on Facebook. Um, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, I don't know, YouTube Music. I think it's everywhere. Bandcamp for sure. Um, and yeah, we'll probably be playing like more of these live stream things throughout the fall, just uh, popping up here and there. And then there's some big surprises that maybe we'll announce later this year, but some some very cool follow-ups to this record that are that will be coming out. Yes. Very, very excited. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Appreciate you. you. Okay. (laughs) Bye.